0: Well, Aloha and welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School. My name is Michael Benner. Pleasure to be with you as always. at Sunday morning in Maui, Sunday afternoon in the United States, Sunday evening in Europe. Happy that you're with us, whether live or, or by podcast uh, or streaming audio. Today we're going to do a, a program that uh, is similar to one I did almost two years ago, certainly more than a year and a half ago. I did three programs in a row. I did a program on the sacred trinity or the sacred triangle and the trinity in all things. I did another program either just before or right after that on duality, the, the dual uh, or bicameral nature of things. And I also did a program on the oneness of all things. And... um put those together. I don't remember if I went 1, 2, and 3. I think I probably went 3, 2, and 1. But if you look in the archives, you go way back in the archives, uh, you'll find those programs. Well, I thought this week we would reprise the program about the number 3. What's so darn special about the number 3? Why is it magical? Why is it even thought to be sacred? What is some of the magic? Um, both in the geometric shape, the triangle that has three sides and three corners or three angles within it, and yet also the threeness of things in many other areas of life and how reliable it is as a model that you can use to approach understanding. Most people divide things only into two. You'll learn today to go beyond that and look at what in Buddhism and other Eastern philosophies, and increasingly in the West too, I suppose, is known as the middle way or the third way. That's where all the magic is, actually. So to be able to go beyond either-or binary thinking, everything or nothing, uh, you're either with us or against us, you're either one of us or one of them, uh, we'll show you how to find the third way which is a whole spectrum or a continuum of variation and permutation. And that's where truth is found, in the middle, between the the, um, the two aspects. But there is a divine trinity, even, uh, not only in Christianity, but as you'll see later today, pretty much all religions and all philosophies have a trinity in their basic teaching someplace. And uh, that's what we call the magic triangle, the divine trinity, and it also has a lower correspondence in you. You are a trinity in your mental, emotional, and physical natures. So it we'll contrasts contrast that to a better understanding of what the divine trinity is, why the Unitarians and Trinitarians can't seem to get along, and again... What did the ancients have to say about the triangle? Um, not only the Pythagorean right-angle triangle with a 90-degree uh, angle in it, but all triangles, and the nature of triangles and and tripods as well, the old three-legged stool, the African three-legged stool, is um, part of uh, truly ancient mythology. And so... I'll do my best today to bring this all together for you in a logical and meaningful way that you can then use to help better organize your world. I I, I suppose it's natural to divide the world into two. We see so much duality around us, the yin and the yang, the male and the female or gender of things, uh, positive and negative polarities. Um, We have two rather independent, largely independent hemispheres on our head to handle two very different kinds of operations or mental functions. But um, we'll break that open and show you the third way, the middle way and then you'll have that forevermore as a tool to use, approaching all kinds of problems. Beyond duality, the trinity in all things, and the sacred triangle, that's our uh, our topic for the day today so i'll do a presentation and then uh, in about 30 or 40 minutes we'll ask for your questions and your comments you can participate uh, or just listen in actually in uh, two ways either by the web feed that uh, that brought you here uh, or now that you're here uh, looking at the web page you also have the option of uh... listening in on the telephone and so when we come to the uh... point of participation you'll be able to ask your question or make your comment either by text on the web And if you notice on the lower left you see a text window you can open and close uh... you'll also see other controls including a chat room you can visit at some point not too many people go in there but you're always welcome to you never know who you're going to meet in there That's available for the length of the webinar today. And if you're on the telephone and we come to the uh, place where I ask for questions and comments, um, I can unmute callers one at a time, but you have to press star 2 on the keyboard to let me know that uh, you want to ask your question. So at any point uh, in the program, if you're on the phone, press star 2, and when I go to the console I can see that your hand is raised. Okay, see how that goes. So two ways to listen in, and if you wish, two ways to participate. Um, by the way, if you go from the web to the telephone, don't be surprised at the timing gap. It's about 18 seconds usually. Um, the phone is live, live, and the web is delayed about 15 to 20 seconds. So that accounts for that, it's just in the way the web works it. It takes a while. So, with that, let's uh, let's talk about uh, the threeness of things. I uh, I think a, a wonderful oh a wonderful place to begin actually is to get you on board with this other tab or this window that I suggested you open up. I don't usually ask you to do this, and you certainly don't have to. But I thought it'd be fun. If you want to follow along, um, open a new window or a new tab on your browser. And again, whatever browser you're using, if you click on the file button next to the name of the browser in the very top row, very top screen, you'll see a menu will open up, a flyout, and you can choose to do one or the other. And open either a new window, or a new tab, and go to theagelesswisdom.com. This is my website, one of two sister websites, along with focusedpassion.com, that pretty much covers everything that we do. The T-H-E is part of it, as you probably know, after the W's, theagelesswisdom.com, the W's, a dot, theagelesswisdom.com. And then uh, when you get there, click on the home page to come inside. And you'll see on the left side a column, a frame actually, of a number of navigation links or commands. And if you just scroll down to Wisdom Nuggets, it's about three-quarters of the way down. Underneath Abolish War and Abolish Hunger... You'll see Wisdom Nuggets. And if you click on that, a page will open up with a whole bunch of free articles. Come back here sometime and have fun clicking around the inside. Oh, so many wonderful articles on esoteric philosophy and science. The one I want to call your attention to is in the first column. And it simply says, Three, the Divine Trinity. Okay? So, after the W's, dot com When you get to the splash page, click on Home to come on in. On the navigation commands on the left, click on Wisdom Nuggets. And when you get to that page, click on the article in the first column that says Three, the Divine Trinity. Okay. Let me just read this over. First of all, we have a couple of pull quotes about the number seven. In Revelation, there are four or five different mentions of the seven spirits before the throne. Here's one of them. Um, It says, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. Do you see the three there? Who is, and who was, and who is to come, that's present, past, and future, one of the threes we'll talk about today, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And then we have St. Betis saying, the spirit is one in name, but sevenfold in virtues. Now, you say, Michael, I thought you were going to do a program on three, and now we're getting one and seven. <laughs> well, seven is in many ways like three, in that three has one above, one below, and one in the middle. Seven has three above, three below, and one in the middle. So what's important right off the bat about both the number three and the number seven is that they're odd numbers, with the middle. If you draw an equilateral triangle uh, and then below it draw another equilateral triangle upside down, the three above and the three below, and you bring them together so they overlap, you have a six sided star, which is the Star of David and uh, a holy icon in the Jewish or Hebrew religion, that six pointed star made out of two equilateral triangles. So there's a seven in there, even though you see six points on the star. It's three above, three below, and then bringing them together in the middle. But let's look at what else I've written here. The inherent power of the number three has amazed philosophers and mathematicians for thousands of years. And I begin to talk about the three-legged stool, or tripod, which is an important... Part of African myth, actually, and the way in which a three legged stool is always stable, regardless of the length of each leg. well, it doesn't really matter how long the legs are on a tripod. You've probably played around with a camera tripod, or maybe the the stand that held your Christmas tree had three legs because it's more stable than four legs or five legs or six legs. you have four more legs on a stool or a table, they've they've got to all be the same length or you're going to get some instability and some rocking, right? One or two legs, it's not even self-supporting your stool or your table. But bang, three legs, rock solid, no matter how long the legs are, just doesn't matter, right? It would affect the plane of the top of the table or the plane of the stool you sit on if one leg was very much longer than the other two. But in terms of its overall stability, rock solid. And that's part of the power of the tripod, and I think a good place to begin. This is where the ancients began, pondering the triangle. For the three-legged stool does trace out a triangle. Each leg comes down if you can visualize it at an angle on the triangle, there is a, a triangle at the bottom of the stool. Again, it might be equilateral. Most likely is an equilateral triangle if the stool or the, the table is well-made, but it need not be. That adds to its stability, certainly. But the length of the legs is irrelevant. And, again, doesn't happen if the stool or table has one or two legs, it won't even stand by itself, four or more, they've got to be even. You know how frustrating it is in a restaurant in particular if you sit at a table that's uneven and rocks back and forth all night. Three-legged tables would solve that problem, no matter how uneven the surface of the ground might be. Well, that's where it all begins. The uh The entry I put in here on the web goes on to say both space and time are measured in three dimensions. I talked about this in the newsletter that went out a couple of days ago. Uh, Height, width, and depth in space. Now, there is some talk in quantum mechanics about 11 dimensions, but no matter how many dimensions we find there are mathematically, There are three apparent dimensions, which is, well, height, width, and depth can be said a number of ways. Forward and back, left and right, up and down. Okay. It's another way of saying that. Three dimensions of space. Past, present, and future. We can do three dimensions in time. Um, Not only past, present, and future, but what story does not have a beginning, a middle, and an end. There's another three. And I go on to say, throughout the ageless wisdom teachings, the absolute, the supreme creator, the Godhead, the Brahman, is said to radiate in seven rays, or streams of spirit. The first three rays manifest as this holy trinity, God's primary emanation. The remaining four rays are attributes or subsidiary rays. And similarly, three primary colors, of course, are sufficient to create all colors conceivable, infinite variations. Consider that. Of all the colors, uh, seven basic colors, but three primary colors will make those seven and millions of variations. Uh, same way with three musical notes. There are seven notes before they begin to repeat by octave, by, by multiple. An octave is a multiple. One octave is twice the frequency or half the frequency. Two octaves would be four times or a quarter the frequency. And within that seven, within that scale, however, of seven, the first, the third, and the fifth, make a perfect chord, a major chord or a minor chord, three out of seven. In both cases, color and sound. It's no coincidence. So the number three, we really have to begin by saying the number three is sacred. It catches our attention in this three-legged stool, but when we begin to look at what we know of science and nature, of the three dimensions of space uh, the three dimensions of time, and uh, the threes that come out of seven musical notes. Three allow three are primary. Three primary colors in your TV is red, blue, and green. It's different depending on whether you're using color as pigment or color as light. Which three are the primary three? But <laughs> I don't want really to get too far afield. That three comes out of the seven colors. In the same way, three three notes are major notes that come out of the scale of seven. So three's relationship to seven is important, okay? Seven is three above, three below, one in the middle. And three is a simplified model, one above, one below, and one in the middle. From here we go to the ancient Tao Te Ching, uh, which was written by... Lao Tzu, approximately 2,500 years ago. And this is, I think, rather profound and significant. It is a saying in Taoism that from the Tao, spelled T-A-O, but pronounced like Tony Tao. <laughs> That's all we could think of. Beaver's older brother. Uh, Tao, D-O-W. It, it's pronounced like it's a letter D, David even though it's spelled T-A-O. From the Tao comes forth the one. From the one comes forth the two. From the two comes forth the three. And from the three comes forth all things. Lao Tzu from the Tao Te Ching. Now, you might say, well, on the surface, that's absurd. That's ridiculous. That says nothing right? And I can see where that might not, on the surface, speak to you. (laughs) But if you look at it for a while and consider this is great wisdom from a long time ago, uh, kept alive and handed down generation after generation for, well, the 2,500 years since Lao Tzu wrote it down, and it was ancient wisdom when he wrote it down 2,500 years ago. So There's got to be something to it. Let's take a look at what it is. Hold on a second. Our coffee this morning is Kona, Hawaiian Kona. No, wait a minute. I didn't use the Kona. I take that back. We're having espresso roast this morning. Well, notice that There is something more elemental in this axiom, this poem, uh, this stanza, something more elemental than the one. The very first line is, from the Tao comes forth the one. And after that, the one creates the two, and out of that comes the three, and out of the three come all things. So what is the Tao that gives birth even to the one it's a Chinese way of saying the Godhead that stands above God the Father this is again an esoteric concept it's a veiled concept uh, it's found in philosophy there's no way to prove it <laughs> it's a way of saying that the father <clears throat> excuse me, the father aspect of God is not where this all begins. That the father aspect of God, like the son aspect of God, and the Holy Spirit in the Christian triangle, father, son, and Holy Spirit, or to a pagan this would be father, son, and mother, or to an Egyptian would be king, prince, and queen. These have corollaries. And so if God the Father creates the Mother, so to speak, the Holy Spirit, the physical universe, and out of that comes an offspring, a son, that is the soul or consciousness, then each of these three is God. The Church goes around and around. This is part of the Unitarian-Trinitarian debate that goes around and around and around for thousands of years, is God one or is God a trinity? And frustrating, I think, for the Trinitarians is they say, well, both things are true. Well, how could something that's three also be whole? Often a three-leaf clover is used. It's one clover, but it's got these three leaves or these three aspects that out of the one this clover, came a first leaf, and a second leaf, and a third leaf. Well, that means you've got to have a Tao before the One. You've got to have an absolute or a Godhead before even the Father can manifest. Again, religious people debate this. There is little or nothing in religion that speaks to the Godhead that unifies and yet transcends even the Father aspect of the Divine Trinity, but it's there. Um, in Catholicism, there is a prayer. I think it's called the Anasian or Anesthesian Creed. I could look it up for you guys if you want. Where uh, uh, I, sh- I should have thought to have it here. It, it's a very old prayer. It goes back, to, I think, to the fourth or fifth century. And it makes reference to not only the three parts of the Trinity being, I guess like our government, co-equal branches, (laughs) right? The judiciary, the legislative, and the executive. You might think of the executive as being the father aspect, but they're they're co-equal branches. It's the Godhead, or in Chinese philosophy, the Tao, that is the ultimate... Um, primordial source of consciousness of divinity Um, and nothing about it can be known by definition it is the one about which nothing can be said Um, and so I've already said too much right (laughs) I suppose you could uh, you can talk about it you just can't know it The old axiom was the one about whom naught may be said, but I think it really means the one about whom naught may be really understood. This goes back to God having no name, and the ultimate divinity um, uh, to name God would be blasphemy, but that didn't stop the Jews from coming up with Yahweh. Um, interestingly, out of an impronounceable, an attempt by the old Jewish Kabbalists to make God's name impossible to pronounce. And they used to spell it I-H-V-H or sometimes you'll see I-H-W-H or a few minor variations of that, as if it would be impronounceable but um, it came out Yahweh. Um, And jehovah came out of that and of course the muslims name for god is allah and the christians name for god is jesus and and christians are constantly conflating the son and the father to the point that the father is often lost in the mix and yet christ the only prayer he ever taught was to the father he didn't say pray to me he said pray to the father and that's where we got the lord's prayer our father who art in heaven I, I don't know how many christians realize that was really the only prayer christ taught so this is a, i don't want to get uh spend uh unnecessary time on this point but it helps the unitarian and trinitarian to come together if you recognize this idea of a godhead a below, uh, above, and primal to, uh, primary to, or fundamental to uh, the Father, the Son, and the Mother aspect, or Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, if you will. They just took women out of the the equation there. Um, that helps to understand and resolve this, this apparent conflict. Is God one thing? If so, what are these three parts? Well, having a Tao... A unspeakable Godhead, the absolute um, uh, source of all divinity, above even the Father aspect, helps to resolve that. And again, it's 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 found in all the esoteric traditions. It's found in all religions, in other words. It's just um, a little bit harder to uncover in some than others. If you're with me on the website here at theagelesswisdom.com, you'll notice the... Uh, The next section is on the Rosicrucian cross, and uh, I think the first thing to point out here is that you've got three steps. Actually, that's not the first thing I mentioned, but I'll call your attention to it now. The Rosicrucian cross sits atop three steps, and um, this uh, trinity of steps is also a reference to the threeness of things. The cross itself, you see the threeness in the vertical uh, member, that's one. The horizontal member is two, or three, actually. The horizontal is actually three. The heart in the middle is actually two. And if you look under the title, The Rosicrucian Cross, Spirit, Consciousness, and Matter, an esoteric philosophy is called the causative triangle the causative triangle from which all things come. In other words, spirit gives birth to matter. The father creates the mother, and out of the interface between spirit and matter, between father-spirit and mother-matter, springs a son, uh, or a daughter, if you will, an offspring. Remember, this is coming from ancient times when women were not venerated in many cases. And so we uh, refer to the mother aspect as Holy Spirit rather than mother, and we refer to the offspring as the son rather than the daughter. But the important thing to understand here is that consciousness is a function of spirit coming into matter. Uh, At the interface of spirit and matter is the soul or your conscious awareness. The soul is consciousness itself that conscious awareness itself stands between the two worlds of spirit and matter can be a breakthrough for many people. This stops people in their tracks often. And then if you begin to look at the cross, as it was conceived in ancient times before the crucifixion of Christ, there is a pre-Christian cross. The vertical member of the cross is like a bar magnet, where its polarities are spirit and matter. The horizontal member of the cross corresponds to the material end of the bar magnet, but it's risen up, it's rising, it's going up toward the top. Sometimes you see a cross with two or three horizontal members, each one a little bit shorter than the one below it indicating, again, this rising up of the material world toward the top of the vertical bar magnet, toward spirit. This is consciousness raising, and it's represented by the rose at the intersection of the vertical and horizontal. The horizontal, of course, the horizon, the physical world, and that it has its polarities, corresponds to the yin and the yang, the ebb and the flow, you know, in-breath and out-breath, the expansion and the contraction. We all have our good days and our and our bad days. That's the, the swing of the pendulum here left and right, and even round and round as far as that goes. And so that corresponds to the horizontal member. That's the uh, the third element, the material world, is represented by the horizon. And the vertical is, again, like a bar magnet with its polarities, not opposites but complements. The north pole of the bar magnet is spirit or God in heaven. The south pole of the bar magnet is the material world, the matter, the mater, or the mother aspect. If you remember that the material world word material means mother, <laughs> it helps take the take away the controversy when you say father, son, and mother instead of father, son, and Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit. Uh, there should be no debate there. I'd like to also speak quickly about the lower correspondence uh, to um, this divine trinity of spirit, consciousness, and matter, or father, son, and mother aspect. Uh, The lower correspondence to the divine trinity is the triangle in man, the three-legged stool, if you will, in every human being. And there is a major clue to this veiled concept in Catholicism, and most Catholics are not even aware of it. The priests know, they're taught, but why they don't pass it on, I'm not sure. Um, I'll have to ask a priest sometime, why don't you explain to people what the sign of the cross really is? If you're Catholic, if you were raised Catholic, or if you know a Catholic, you may be familiar with the sign of the cross, where... In most cases, upon seeing a crucifix, or in certain other cases, you know you'll see uh, you'll see uh, a football player make the sign of the cross before he goes into the football game, or uh, you know the, uh, a boxer will make the sign of the cross before the bell rings. It's just to bless yourself, basically. And the saying is. The affirmation that you make when you touch first your forehead is in the name of the Father. And you're touching your forehead. And then the second step is to touch the area of your heart, the breastbone, the sternum, but just a little to the left where the heart is. You touch that and say, in the name of the Son. And then the third step is to touch each of the shoulders, left and then right, as you say, in the name of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost, which again is the mother, but the Church pulled the women out early on. In the name of the Father, you touch the forehead. In the name of the Son, you touch your heart. And in the name of the Holy Spirit or the material world, the mater, the mater, the mother, you touch your shoulders, head, heart, shoulders. What are they doing? And why would you do this for 2,000 years and not tell the people what they're doing or why they're doing it? Excuse me. Well, most of you have probably guessed already what this lower correspondence of the divine trinity in man refers to. In the name of the Father, you touch your forehead. The Father aspect of God corresponds to God's mental nature, the mind of God, or God's will. Sometimes the word of God or the divine plan. Okay, This is the first of the seven rays. This is the first element of the seven. It's primary to all seven and clearly primary to the first three. Remember? We talked about the seven spirits out of the throne, uh that stand seven spirits that stand before the throne out of Revelation, and in Christianity what does that really mean? <clears throat> there are these seven rays, these seven notes, these seven colors three of which stand out. That's what we're talking about. The second aspect of God, the son, if you will, or the daughter, the offspring of spirit and matter, of the father aspect and the Holy Spirit mother aspect, is the soul or consciousness. This is divine love. This is what Christ and Buddha represent and you've got it in you, it's a higher heart, not the emotional nature, but the higher heart, capital L, love, right? Or if you ever see these pictures of of Jesus with a heart on the outside of his body, that's what that's a reference to, the higher heart or the sacred heart, the soul, the soul aspect. And so you touch your heart in the name of the Son, You see, and then the shoulders, so it's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The shoulders are the Holy Spirit, again, the material world, the physical world, the mother aspect, and the shoulders correspond to the body. So, how cool is this? The Divine Trinity has a lower correspondence in you, your mental, emotional, and physical nature. Your thoughts, your feelings, and your behavior and health, all right, is a lower correspondence to the divine trinity. The father aspect, in other words, corresponds to the mind of God. The Christos, or Buddha nature, corresponds to the heart and the soul of God, divine love. And the third aspect, the material universe, the physical universe, corresponds to intelligent activity, God at work. The will of God and the love of God at work in the world is the mother aspect. This ought to help you understand why the gender overlay on divinity, why do we portray or have our ancestors portrayed God is masculine and its creation is feminine right? Mother Earth it's primarily because the spirit is causative to matter and the material world stands receptive to spirit in nature the ancients were able to see clearly that in the vastness majority of animals it was the male animal that went out and hunted that um brought home the bacon so to speak that initiated through its um its perseverance uh the the mating and its the female on the other hand who chooses the gene pool? She's the one who says yes or no. She's receptive, or she's not receptive. There are some exceptions to this in nature, but generally speaking, the the female is the receptive one who chooses the genes, so to speak. Uh, even before birth, sperm and egg, uh, the sperm is causative, and the egg is receptive. So you see the principle here. It's 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 pretty cool. And then, of course, the mother would uh, give live birth or lay the eggs and then uh, nurture the newborn and uh, care for the nest. She's rather camouflaged in most cases. Her colors are muted, whereas the male is loud and extroverted and making a big show of himself out in nature, huffing and puffing and creating a, a, a great scene. And so it's not that men are superior to women in any way at all and uh, therefore the ancients decided that men were the warriors and women were the housekeepers so god must be a man and women will represent the material end of the, of, of things it's not that at all it has to do with the causative and receptive relationship of of spirit to matter okay uh god could not be less than all that is. So ultimately, to think of God as male or female is, of course, absurd uh, on the surface of it. Um, How could God be less than all that is? So there is definitely a feminine aspect to divinity and a masculine aspect to, to, to divinity. And if you look at the way gender plays out in hermaphrodites, in... People who feel they've been born into the wrong body and uh, gay and transsexual, um, all of this coming out of the closet now because people want their rights and and deserve their rights, shouldn't have to fight for them. But nevertheless, it, it demonstrates that there's more going on than just the two sexes, that each and every one of us have masculine and feminine energies within us. Uh, Jung called this the anima and animus. But again, two is not sufficient. There's a third element. Anytime there's a bar magnet with two opposite polarities, something has to unify those polarities so that they're not opposites or in opposition. And in the case of the bar magnet, if we want to work that allegory, the middle element of the trinity the middle element is the magnetic field around the bar magnet and that's what lifts what would appear at first glance to be opposites like spirit and matter how opposite could they be into one thing a continuum where truth is found along the full spectrum right where music is played not only on the three notes out of these seven but all up and down the keyboard. okay. And color is not limited to just red, blue, and green, the primary colors of the seven colors in the rainbow, but we can mix with lights or with pigment millions and millions of colors. I didn't know that until I got a computer monitor. And, <laughs> and my very first computer monitor in 1983 had eight colors, and now they tell you when you buy a uh, computer monitor that they have millions of colors, right, but all out of the basic three, see. So this is fun to play with, and I I think it's important that we know, even though most of us never taught any of this in school, that our ancestors have been playing around with these ideas uh, from time out of mind. And it it offers some really fascinating insight into a variety of things. Let me do a time check real quick because, yeah, it's already 10 of. And I want to call your attention to the bulk of this page, which follows in the grid. And in the very first column, we have the various systems. Uh, philosophies or religions or belief systems. And then in the three yellow columns that follow is the cause, the path, and the effect, or the receptive end. Cause and effect is cause and receptivity, Okay, giving and receiving. And the middle element in every trinity is the path or the means by which energy, consciousness, awareness, activity of some sort, moves from cause to effect, always through the path. Now, we can do this vertically, except it would be pretty hard to represent if I did uh, father, son, and mother vertically, or cause, path, and effect vertically. would be pretty hard to represent. So I, I, I turned it on its side 90 degrees so that we could scroll down and look at these from left to right. So it starts with obviously cause and effect with the path in the middle. You can see that on the page in front of you. And then we begin to go down through these belief systems first looking at each row. Later we'll look at the individual columns, or I'll invite you to come back and look at the individual columns and see how everything in column one causes, everything in column three receives or is an effect, and everything in the middle column is the path. So probably the most basic would have to be cause and effect along a given path or causative and receptive, via a way, a via, a way, a road, a path, right? then the most generic would be God, soul, and man. Okay? God, soul, and man. Notice the next two. I have arrows going left to right and right to left, talking about creation and redemption. Or in all religions there is some cyclic if it's not the wheel of rebirth according to the laws of reincarnation and karma in eastern philosophy there is incarnation and redemption so you still have this cycle and so I, I'm showing involution is going from left to right the cause is involved via the path which is the soul into mankind, and then mankind, again, through the soul, as consciousness, redeems itself and lifts itself back in the opposite direction toward the Godhead. So this is cyclic. This is rounded around. This is, what do they say in Buddhism, is surely as the wheel of the ox cart follows the step of the oxen round and round and round, the wheel of rebirth. Then I put the already mentioned causative triangle of magic and and manifestation, where consciousness, as the soul, again, in the middle, is the mediator, the medium between spirit and matter. And this is so magical because... By and large, most people don't understand what consciousness is. We believe, most of us, and are taught to believe, that our thoughts and our feelings and our behavior is all of the material world and would be over here in column three. And who we are as material beings is limited by what we think and what we feel and the way we speak and behave. Uh, you can throw health in there as well. In fact, identity is always this middle path. The essence of who you are is always in the middle. And so you are of spirit, you are of matter, you stand a leg in both worlds. You're the north pole of the bar magnet and the south pole of the bar magnet, but you're also incarnated consciousness. And it's your conscious awareness that forms the heart and soul, shall I say, of your identity, and so conscious, a conscious person can determine or give shape to the way spirit comes into matter. Esoterically, this is represented by the wizard, uh, the magician, um, an occultist, um, or one who performs miracles and manifestations, as Christ did. He was manipulating his highly developed Christos, or consciousness, to manage spirit coming into matter in different ways, ways we don't understand, so we call them miracles. And then if you step down through this grid, you'll see the Christian. We've already talked about father, son, and mother, or Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Again, Christos. uh, Jesus the Christ is Jesus the Christos. Christos is a a Greek word for Savior or uh, Messiah or the one who redeems. Again, the one who uses love as consciousness to add new forms to the world, like peace replacing war, being fed, replacing hunger, justice, replacing injustice. But that same love, that Christos, that consciousness, that Buddha nature, also refines forms that are already in place. This is the allegory of, uh, of turning lead into gold or water into wine. Okay, All the magic is in the middle. All the mysteries are in the middle. Divine Source, Redeemer, Disciple, Creator, Savior, Sinner, just other words for the same thing. Now we have the Catholic sign of the cross that I mentioned just a few minutes ago where the head, the heart, and the shoulders is a correspondence between God's will and your little bit of that will, your free will as a function of God's will. You can either align you, your will with divine will, the small w, willpower, with divine will, or not. This is the gift. You can be willful. You can do things you know are wrong or bad or hurt other people or not for the greater good. You can choose to do that. Many people do. Okay, They become willful and interested only in the separated self or you could align i should probably say and you have the choice to align your will with divine will by doing whatever you discern to be for the greater good and perpetually repeatedly in the best interest of all concerned could do that and uh and so here again the 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 head the heart the shoulders, corresponding to divine will, divine love, and intelligent activity, the working out, the third part, um, the physical, the shoulders, the material world, is the working out of God the Father as divine will, God the Son as the soul or divine love, working in the world in incarnation through intelligent activity to experience life. The rest of this I'll let you go through on your own. Theosophy, a couple of different references. Here we have, as I've already said, will, love, and intelligent activity. Um, Alice Bailey, life quality and appearance. uh, Very deep, very profound. I could do a whole uh, Sunday program just on life quality and appearance. Life has both a quality and an appearance. And you can manipulate both. You can, once you identify as the quality, as the soul, the life that's been given to you can take any appearance you'd like it to take. Um, Western mysticism, we have unity and, oh, I scrolled out of the way. Here we go unity and diversity with a magnetic nature that love is magnetic and somehow magically coordinates or harmonizes what would certainly seem to be opposite. Unity, the father aspect, spirit, the ocean of spirit, one thing, and the many, diversity and apparently separated nature of the physical world. How can the one or unity manifest as the many separated diversity without being diminished or even affected only through the magnetic nature of love as consciousness and you can begin to play with this Western mysticism also includes phrases like the good, the true, and the beautiful if your grandfather was in the Masons he might have talked about the good, the true, and the beautiful and Again, as you scroll down through here, I'd like to remind you that you can not only read these left to right, but you can begin to look at them top to bottom. You begin to look, for example, in the first column at number one, the cause or the father aspect or that which represents spirit or the the first element of the divine trinity. And look at what these words all have in common. And then look at the third column, which is the material world, the receptive end of things, reflecting spirit back. And look at how these all relate to each other. And then you can look down the middle at the path, right, which is the middle way or the third way in Buddhism. And there's plenty here for you. I even get into uh, Hegel's dialectic with the thesis, the synthesis, and the antithesis. I think you'll really enjoy it, and if you want some help with it or you have a question, um, ask it now. Go to the text box if you're on the web page. Type out your question or your comment. Include your first name at least and your city where indicated, and then be sure and hit the submit button or or I'll never see it. And if you're on the telephone or choose to go to the telephone um, press star two to raise your hand remember we do have a whole list of phone numbers and there's an area code near you I'm sure if you look carefully on the page that tells you how to call in you'll have a couple of numbers listed primary and a backup and if those are not near you and you're still paying toll calls by the minute click on that little link right there in front of you on the page that says local numbers. Find an area code near you, and you can use that number to call in. You can disconnect and call back now, or in the future, whatever. Because Lots of people have flat rate, but a few people are still paying by the minute, and there's no need to do that. So we'll pay for the call. Um, Or you won't have a fee if you choose an area code near you, right? Star 2 will raise your hand. Once you enter the conference ID and it's all voice prompted. You can't go wrong. So uh, let me go back to the webinar page and see who's on the phone. All right, good. I'll come back to the phone in a minute. And let's go to the Q&A on the text and the things. See what folks have to say here. And stay with us because we're going to do a, a guided imagery exercise. We tried to do a meditation. I, I think we always have done the meditation near the end of the class. So, see who we've got. Who, who we've got here? Uh, Carol Pastel um, is with us from La Habra, California, and says hello to uh, to all of us and uh, to Doreen as well. And Phil Jaffe in Canova Park. He says, "I had my. I, I, I have to I think it's a good idea to pre-read Phil before I go ahead and uh, <laughs> read it out loud." Oh, this is interesting. Doesn't relate particularly to the class today, but Phil's talking about a change in consciousness he's had about eating meat. And that uh, he had not eaten red meat for over five months, and found some in the freezer, and uh, he ate it, but it didn't digest good. Didn't feel good. It tasted like dead animal. You know, that happens. That happens. That's again an example of uh, your consciousness raising, and. Uh, even on the physical level, when you stop eating um big pieces of meat, uh, you lose a lot of the bacteria that your body has held so that you can digest that meat, so it gets real hard to digest um, You know vegans can eat a little bit of meat, right? they say all vegetarians cheat with bacon once in a while or you know a little bit of chicken broth or something like that. And it won't upset you, but yeah, you just eat a big piece of muscle and uh, that can be real hard on your system. And then Phil makes reference also to God as it, where we were talking about God as having no gender or uh, sexual distinction. That's part of the blasphemy of making God in our image and believing that God is a man. And then God has hands and feet and sexual organs, and of course God would be celibate, right? Um, it's also perverse. Rarely will you hear God referred to as it, but it's probably a, a more accurate and a better a better phrase. Okay, and let's see if anybody else is on here that wants to say hi. And seeing none at this point, we'll jump over to the telephones, and we'll come back here. If you have a comment, just type it in. And let's see. Diane wants to be on. Let me go to Diane in Albuquerque. and Hello, Diane, you're on the Mystery School with Michael Benner. Hi, Michael. Thanks for calling in. Well, I'm glad to call in. Um, You mentioned something about miracles. You said, you know, we call them miracles, but... And I kind of missed it. I'd love you to expand on it. It had something to do with our level of consciousness or something? Yeah, the idea that all of us are a miracle, first of all. Our existence is a miracle. We have periods in our lives where we actually appreciate that, like surviving some catastrophic surgery or maybe surviving a car accident that should have killed you, and you go, oh, my God, and can't believe I survived that. And, and Certainly for the next few months or weeks, and in some cases for the rest of your life, things are never quite the same. You don't, you don't take things for granted anymore. anymore. Every, every breath you take is miraculous. Further, the things that we are able to create in our lives, and and contribute to the creation of, are miraculous. And yet we tend to take those for granted. Anything that we can repeat gets taken for granted. Um, I think television is a miracle. It's only it's only been 60 years since most of us have even seen a TV, and yet we take it for granted. Computers are a miracle. We've only had them for 20 years, and, and now people complain about the iPod iPad doesn't (laughs) doesn't do enough cool things imagine being shown a microwave in 1955 you surely would have thought this is something miraculous or if you were really religious or fundamental in your religious approach you would say that this is evil unless you can prove to me that this microwave is in Jesus' name it's got to be evil all right no it's just it's just a microwave by the time it won't come along for another twenty years. It's nineteen fifty five so imagine uh, you know whether it's uh the 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 any of Christ's miracles walking on water, paying the temple tax with the coin from the fish's mouth, turning water into wine, the miracle of the loaves and the fishes. we weren't there. We don't know if this happened or if these are stories. We do know that Christ taught in parable and allegory, and he explains why in Matthew. There's a real nice section why he's never literal, why he always teaches in allegory, and why none of his teachings should be taken literally. That doesn't seem to stop the fundamentalist from doing it, though. So, you know, if Christ were alive today... I think it would be wonderful if you would, like some of the Buddhist monks are doing, you know, submit themselves to testing and brainwave research and, and find out, not that the, the miracles we call miracles are less miraculous, but quite the contrary, Diane. I would say to open our eyes, to open our minds, and open our hearts to the miracles that are all around us, and that we are capable of performing miracles. Um, you and I have talked about healing and ways that makes it, at once, less miraculous. Well, anybody can do that, but even if everybody did, it wouldn't be less of a miracle that we could accelerate a natural healing process, right? Right. Most of our healing is on autopilot. If I cut myself or bruise myself or break a bone, I don't have to do anything. There's no miracle to the healing, and yet... How could healing itself not be miraculous? Right. Wow. So that's what I was referring to. Okay, thank you. Thank you for expanding on that. You're very welcome. Thanks for calling. You're welcome. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Aloha, Dan. All right, let's do... Um, Let's see what time we've. I got ten after. I've got other callers, but nobody's raised their hand yet. Let me go back to the um, written Q and A and see if anybody's added anything to that. Apparently not. So we're good. Let's um, do our visualization exercise. All right. Try to include a guided imagery or meditation in each one of these programs. So, whether you're with us live or via the podcast or the stream, if this is a good time for you, then uh, get comfortable. I'd like to recommend that you sit up. Um, You can do this laying down. Lots of people prefer to, but it's likely you'll go to sleep if you do, so sitting is a, a better way to do it, but again... I don't want you. I don't want you to think of yourself as rigid, like a two by four. I want you to think of yourself as balanced, so that you can lean back against some pillows, still be essentially vertical. And the key word is balanced, so that you can release all the muscular tension along your back, in your neck, and in your shoulders, in your hips all of that tension that you might think is holding you vertically you can let go of all of that because the first thing we do to create mental focus and emotional tranquility is to breathe to close our eyes and to begin to feel safe and relaxed so if you haven't already Close your eyes and take a nice, slow, deep breath, ideally through the nose, pulling in strength and power. Fill your lungs and after you peak, hold for just a moment and then exhale slowly again through the nose and go beyond where you normally stop before taking a second slow deep breath and if I seem to be going too slow that's just because you're still tense and you need to breathe 8 or 10 times a minute but ah, as you become safer and more relaxed you'll be able to breathe more slowly And so take 3 or 4 of these nice slow deep breaths in slow as you can hold And then exhale just as slowly and feel the letting go. Feel the relaxation, muscles unwinding. Turn your breathing over to autopilot when you're ready. Just let go. Your body will breathe itself all by itself. Let go. And spend another few moments on how it feels in your body to release tension. To feel really, really safe and relaxed. Think of your muscles as feeling like butter on a warm day, slowly softening and yielding from the outside of your body the various layers of skin, relaxing, the muscle and connective tissue, the ligament, the tendon, relaxing, right down to the skeletal level, every joint, relaxing, feel the letting go. Place your attention on the space around your ears as you relax your scalp and your face. You'll feel the space around your ears sag or droop a bit. It's quite surprising the first couple of times you do it, how much tension you hold in your scalp and your face. Even though these are tiny little muscles, feel the letting go. Feel the ears droop. And now put your attention on the bottom of your nose, on that ridge line of cartilage between the nostrils, gently, effortlessly, and simply watch the natural ebb and flow of your breathing. and this is no longer deliberate breathing you're allowing your body to breathe itself all by itself and you simply watch you witness as if you were a detached but curious observer of the process and in this way your body is still. Your mind begins to quiet. Every distraction you release is part of a process of the mind slowing down. And you're noticing by now that your emotional nature becomes more tranquil. Your emotions are less disturbing as you become more and more relaxed, physically still, mentally quiet, emotionally calm and peaceful. Imagine in your mind's eye sitting next to a little lake or a pond and seeing the surface of that pond slowly becoming tranquil whatever little waves or wind ripples had been there see that all going away and the surface of the lake or the pond becomes as smooth as glass as you feel in your body that same tranquility. As if by the use of your willpower and your imagination. You can become as tranquil as this lake appears to be when its surface is as smooth as glass. Feel that tranquility within you. Allow yourself to feel that peace of mind. And reflect upon that self as we've just done, but this time notice the parts. That by all appearances, you are a physical body that is sitting still. You have a mental nature which you've learned to quiet or allowed to become still and you have an emotional nature that you can tranquilize in the best sense of the word allowing it to become peaceful and undisturbed Now, there is a primary order when you choose to align yourself with a deliberate activity. Something as simple as speaking or putting the teapot on to boil. Initially, there's a back and forth between thought and feeling. Where you may have several thoughts and several feelings go back and forth so quickly, so seamlessly, that you usually don't even distinguish between the two. I feel like I think, I think like I feel, I feel, I think, I feel, I think, I feel, I, think, I, feel, I feel, I think. And your feelings give rise to thoughts which impact the emotional nature, which gives rise to new thoughts. And something you hear in the distance then gives rise to a feeling or a thought, a thought or a feeling. But in the back and forth of things, when it comes time to direct ourselves into the world, to consciously commit ourselves to a particular task or behavior, we can either lead with the emotion and go right into the behavior and think about it afterwards, which is what most people do most of the time, or we can use states like these, meditative, contemplative, reflective states, to practice being less impulsive and more willful so that the back and forth of thought, feeling, feeling thought, thought, feeling, thought thought, thought, feeling, feeling, thought, thought thought, thought, feeling, thought back and forth and back and forth when you're ready to take action it's the thought that is the chairman of the board it is your will your willpower, your free will that initiates the feeling that you choose to follow that thought. A positive feeling that will reinforce and motivate the thought into action. Or Sometimes we find ourselves to be victims of negative feelings that quickly lead to negative thoughts and shoot down, damage, and even destroy that great idea. Because negative thinking and negative feeling has become habitual. Because you get some benefit or secondary gain from refusing to be responsible for what you say, what you think, and what you feel. We play victim on all three levels. I am a victim of my thoughts. I am a victim of my feelings. I didn't mean to say or do that. I'm a victim of my own behavior. I didn't mean it. Most people most of the time will follow the thought-feeling, back-and-forth ping-pong game with a strong feeling and a behavior that they think about later. Those thoughts are less rational than rationalizing. We do what we do usually, and unfortunately... Not because of what we think, but because of the way we feel when we're not thinking. And then we take the behavior, the action, the speech. It does affect our health, by the way. And then think about it afterwards. This is called emotional polarity. The emotion led to the action, followed by some thought. The process, when done more consciously, more purposefully, and more correctly, is to follow the ping-pong game of thought, feeling, feeling, thought, thought, and feeling, feeling, and thought, back and forth, back and forth, feelings giving rise to thoughts that create new feelings and new thoughts, especially when you come to a nice, quiet place like this. You follow it with a deliberate thought as energy and then a feeling as the force behind the energy and then your behavior in the world. It's as if your thoughts are like the steering wheel of a car that determine your direction. The emotions, if they're negative, they're like the brake and Positive feelings are like the accelerator, and the speech, the behavior, the action, and activity in the world is the car moving forward. Most people push the accelerator to the floor before they ever grab the steering wheel, and they may go, but Lord knows in what direction. If, on the other hand, you have very little emotional feeling about something, your your thoughts are clear, you point the car with the steering wheel in the right direction, but you're not going any place. Maybe you're afraid to, so your foot's on the brake. Or you've let go of the fear, but you haven't gotten excited yet. You haven't pushed down on the accelerator. You need both. But the order is critical. First, the steering wheel, the thought to determine direction. This is the energy. And then you move your foot from the brake to the accelerator, from the fear to the enthusiasm and the excitement, or not. Maybe you decide you're not going to go after all. <laughs> but when you're ready, you certainly have to get excited. This is the force or the drive or the push. The push behind the energy, don't you see? I mean, an idea that you don't care about is an energy with no force behind it. And it just sits there and floats around like so many other great ideas that you never did anything about, number three, because you didn't care about it enough, number two. It's got to be thought, feeling, action. Check it out, feel it out, act it out. It's the way we described that in the early eighties when when I was first doing these seminars. First, the thought, the energy, then the feeling, the force that creates the outcome, the action. But look, we find ourselves now through the looking glass. It begs the question, who's driving the car? And and Michael, how did you trick me into giving up my helplessness and my victimization? I thought I was the street, and I just got driven over, right? I didn't know I was the car, or more to the point, the driver. And if my thoughts are the steering wheel, and my emotions are the pedals, and my behavior is the physical car itself moving, then who's in the driver's seat? And that's the fourth element. The middle of the seven, the one that stands above the three, but below the divine trinity. Three above, three below, and one in the middle. You are the soul. The conscious aspect that decides which thought to turn the steering wheel toward that then applied the force of the emotional excitement and enthusiasm moving your foot from the brake to the accelerator and lo and behold, now you're creating outcome. This is called mental polarization and it's done from the perspective, the somewhat elevated perspective of the overshadowing soul In form, but above and free of form, it chooses the appropriate thought and then the appropriate feeling to create the appropriate outcome, result, or behavior. Plato talked about three parts, but of course he wrote about the mind, the body, and the soul. Like so many people, he simply conflated the mental and emotional nature into the mind. And even today, you know, you go to a medical doctor and he or she wants to know how you feel physically. You tell that person your symptoms. And if you have a mental or an emotional problem, you go to a mental health specialist and they ask you how you feel. And you tell them what you've been feeling emotionally and maybe some of what you've been thinking. But even today, we tend to conflate thoughts and emotions and think of our emotional nature as part of the mind. Mind, body, and soul, then the soul would actually be, in the model I'm talking about today, that fourth element above the lower three, that overshadowing soul. So it's mental nature, emotional nature, and physical nature as the steering wheel, the pedals, and the car itself moving forward. But who's driving the car is your conscious awareness, your as soul. And that's not true for most of us. We're not driving with awareness. We're not living our lives by making conscious choices. We feel more like the street being driven over. Or a parked car that got smashed into, even though you weren't really participating in the game. You were just parked on the side, but you got smashed into. And we court. And, uh, and, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's like courting. There's got to be another word for it, but it's like we look for ways to be helpless. As if there's some merit or benefit in being a a victim who really has no responsibility whatsoever for our thoughts or our feelings much less our behavior so when you want to sort it out and take control in your life see it this way, be mentally polarized, point the car in the right direction In that ping-pong of thought, feeling, feeling, thought, 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 feeling, thought, get your thoughts straight. Get your thinking straight. Be clear, detailed, and precise in setting goals and solutions and desired outcomes. Then add the emotion, the positive emotion, And you'll find your car moves forward in the direction you want to go. Now, there is such a thing as hurt feelings, obviously. What is the role of the break? What is the role of the fear? How do we lift the hurt and negative feeling into a positive feeling? The part of us that really wants to be the helpless victim into a more responsible individual that's emotional management we've talked about that in the past i promise you we'll talk about it more in the future how to how to manage just the pedals <laughs> just the emotional nature because negative feelings like negative pain uh physical discomfort physical symptoms are valuable they're jam packed with information and so your negative emotional feelings as symptoms are also very, very valuable. But that's all part of a process of getting to a place where you can drive the car. So next time you catch yourself rationalizing your speech or your your behavior by saying, well, I felt like it, consider that that feeling acted out without thought was probably not you at your best. But if you thought first, and then impacted the emotional nature, and then worked it out into the world, and and, and then see that lower correspondence of the mental, emotional, and physical as reflecting the divine will, divine love, and activity in the universe. And align yourself with that. Be a reflection of that divine trinity. Understand what the Catholics are doing, even if they don't, by making the sign of the cross and touching their forehead in the name of Father's Spirit, touching their hearts in the name of the Son, the Christos, the Buddha nature, divine love and the shoulders as intelligent activity, the working out of divine will and divine love and form. What if you did understand that? What will happen as you become more clear of yourself as a lower correspondence of that divine trinity, as a reflection, if you will, as the embodiment of that higher three Then go revisit the grid that we looked at, at theagelesswisdom.com. And you'll have a template or a pattern that you can use to understand yourself, your behavior, why you do the things you do, and to organize life, in keeping with a lot of our ancestors. And a very gentle, what am I trying to say, a very general gentle is a good word too a very general way like one size fits all break it into three height, width, depth, beginning, middle, end and you begin to understand the power of the triangle equilateral or not the elegance of the triangle the strength of the triangle the integrity of the triangle you can't have two ends without a middle always a middle way. There's always a third option. And you can use that to make your way in this world, confounding all the binary thinkers around you that see it as either or. And you say, well, there's an and. There's permutation and variation and and combination. This can set you free if you work with it or maybe better said if you play with it. See it happening in your life. Create that alignment. And bring that elegant understanding now of the way life works through you mentally, emotionally, physically, out into the world. The mental polarization We can say these are three equal parts of the self, but the mind is the chairman of the board. And so, in the divine trinity, it is the father aspect that is supernal. Even though, again, these are three co-equal parts of divinity. Will, love, and the activity of the physical universe. simply commit yourself just form the intention that's a use of willpower intention or purpose to experiment with this model to understand why things go wrong when you do what you do without reason but merely emotionally and then have to think about it later And how much more refined it would be if before you took action you were mentally clear on the outcome, created that energy, and then applied the emotional force to the energy. If you know Ohm's Law, you'll see it here too, just to mention, that the mental nature... It's very much like the amperage or the volume, the amount of energy, the amount of electrical current is amperage. The voltage is the force, the push behind it, the drive. And the physical working out is the resistance in Ohm's Law, and I'm sure you'll notice your resistance and the resistance of other people to change. Humans always resist change. So Amperage times voltage creates a resistance in Ohm's Law. Science of mind, same thing. Amperage, your thoughts, multiplied by the voltage, the electromagnetic force, the voltage now pushes the amperage, and that creates the outcome. But there will be some Resistance. <laughs> there always is you can account for that and adjust for that I thought I'd toss that in for the electronic people the electricity and electromagnetism people who may listen to this program uh, I've often said and will repeat here if you go buy the most elementary book or borrow from the library the most basic junior high school book on electricity and magnetism it will enhance your spiritual growth enormously. When you understand polarity, and magnetism, resistance, capacitance, inductance, these basic laws of the way electricity and magnetism work, you'll understand spirit a lot better. Because that's what you are. You are one who wields the spirit of love. So take a nice, slow, deep breath now. Fill your lungs with strength and power, with purpose and love, and as you exhale, open your eyes wide awake and alert, rested, refreshed, revitalized, and energized, and back in the room, feeling fine. All right. Well, I hope you've enjoyed that and enjoyed our uh, class today on the uh, the Trinity in all things, and the Sacred Triangle. Uh, remember, even if you listen to us live here, you can hear the replay. You pick it up at the iTunes Music Store or any of the major podcast directories like Podcast Alley, uh, PodFeed.net, uh, um, what are some of the others? Podcast Pickle, uh, com. all the major directories have it. And uh, if you get a chance, leave a comment also. That helps at any one of these directories. Say what you like about the program. Give it a rating, especially the iTunes store. Most of our listeners come through the iTunes store, actually. That's how a lot of new people find this program. And it's in everybody's interest to get this information out. To promote not only this program, but others like it, when you come across a woman or a man doing this kind of work to develop the consciousness of human beings, who they are and why they're here and what we're capable of doing, promote their programs as well. And uh, let's get this out. Politics is not the answer. Unions aren't going to save us. Corporations aren't going to save us. Institutions aren't going to come to our rescue. It's got to be individuals, couples, and small groups. Working together in small groups, that's what changes things. And then groups networking with other groups and paying it forward, passing along the information. So put links in your email, post on Facebook and MySpace and Twitter. And, uh, oh, by the way, sign up for our social net, too. We've got a free social net, very much like Facebook, but it's dedicated to students of this kind of information, people that listen to this show and others like it, and who are looking for personal and spiritual development. And it's very much like the site we were looking at, theagelesswisdom.com, except when you want to go to the social net version of that, it's the w's.theagelesswisdom.ning.com, M-I-N-G like Nancy ING. The W's dot the Ageless Wisdom dot Ning dot com is the social net. Sign up, sign in. Um, to keep spam out of there I have to go through a manual approval process, but that'll just take a day. And then you can gosh, post MP threes up there, JPEGs, videos, there's a blog, there's a note section, you can post events, um, a discussion group where you can participate, message each other, a great community for meeting other like minded women and men. Okay, people who are really into the personal growth uh, genre. That's a great, great place to do that. So we're new. We've only been there a few weeks, a couple of months at most. I think we have 80 some members and are growing slowly, but I'm glad I remembered to invite you to check that out to sign up, sign in, and be a part of that community. Alright. The dot com. And also remember, all of the work that we do that's free is really ultimately paid for by those of you who subscribe for ninety nine cents a week to the premium audio program that my partner Steve Snyder and I do together. The series is called Finding Your Self in Paradise. Paradise meaning these meditative levels. Self is that higher self, the consciousness, the soul, if you will, your better angels and your better nature. And uh, these premium programs you can buy individually for 99 cents, any program in the archive we have 128 programs i believe 128 programs in the archive any one of those for 99 cents any combination of them for 99 cents or just subscribe for 3.96 a month and you get four more free programs so you'll now you'll have 10 free programs and if you just want to leave nothing but an email address and a first name uh, we give you six programs for free. And that's all at FocusedPassion.com. All right? Remember the E-D, FocusedPassion.com. At least leave your email and first name so you get a introduction to what it's all about. Get six free programs. And uh, we're happy to give you that collection. And then, if you want to add to it, you can subscribe at any time. Well, thanks again for being with us today. I've enjoyed it. hope you liked it, too, and got something out of it. We'd love to hear from you. Again, join our uh, Ning site, theagelesswisdom.ning.com, and you can message me there. We can communicate back and forth. I'll see you on Facebook and Twitter, and talk to you next Sunday with any luck at all. Have a wonderful week. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. This is Michael Benner. Aloha from Maui.